Hello again, I'm Morgan Roberts, one of the retired pastors whose privilege and delight it is to worship at Church of the Palms and to enjoy the friendship and pastoral leadership of Pastor Steve McConnell. Let's uh, center down and be ready for today's uh, meditation by listening to some lovely music. Our lesson this morning is from the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark. It's a long section, and so I'm going to cut it in half uh, to stay within our time limits, and uh, it therefore will be from the seventh chapter of Mark, verse 31, through verse 37. Now listen for the word of God. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went away towards Sidon, the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephrathah, which is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. 
They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. So even the deaf can hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. I love that phrase, he has done everything well. It's a nice way of describing the ministry of Jesus. Lots of times we think about him as a miracle worker, but it brings us closer to home when we say Jesus is someone who does everything well. Oh, once in a while when we get a a bad report from the x-ray, we pray for a miracle. But on the other hand, wouldn't it be something just to fall asleep every night and realize that Jesus is going to do everything well? He's going to do the best for us. And I wonder how many of us have that and live with that assurance. Thinking of that phrase, he does everything well, I got thinking about the various people uh, I have known in my churches across 50 years of ministry and uh, different types, all kinds of different types. I've thought of some of them. I've wondered what, what would they say if I asked them, is Jesus doing well by you? Well, now there's a successful type. And I turned to him and say, uh, here's this passage that says Jesus does everything well. Is he doing well by you? And I can hear this one particular kind of man say, my good Lord, yes, look, I'm president of my company. My company is doing well. Uh, I live in a nice house. Uh, I have a nice family. The two of my kids are now in college in Ivy League schools. Uh, yes, Jesus is doing very well by me. So what do you think God's reaction would be to this kind of a response? Is, uh, is Jesus doing well by him, or is he doing well by himself? And resorting to that old kind of reasoning, uh, everything is going so well, I must be doing something right. As though his prosperity, the profits of his company, uh, the academic progress of his children, uh, all come from God when, after all, it comes from his own hard work and desire to be a success. However, I've looked at people like this and then learned later that it's, it's not quite so. Uh, when you decide you're going to be a success, uh, you've got to surround yourself with successful people. You don't have time for mediocre performance. And so there's this one young member of his staff and he got let, let go last week. Uh, there's no time for mediocrity. It's true that he had some excuses for not being up to snuff, as they say. He'd had an automobile accident and slowed him down. But uh, no, there was no time for him. We have to move on to someone who's not mediocre, whose promise of progress is greater. And then you took take his uh, two kids in Ivy League schools. 
I'd like to ask them, uh, when, when you get finished with college, when you get married and you grow up, are you going to follow your dad's example in raising your children? And what they're going to say right away, of course not. And I say, why? And they say, well, he had no time for us. On Saturday mornings, you know, when you're supposed to play pitch and catch and uh, kid games, he was always off uh, playing golf with some big potential customer. So when you see Mr. Big Successful, it doesn't mean that this is something that Jesus produced. I think that Jesus doesn't want us to use people and if they can't keep up, drop them and move on to the next one. Uh, prosperity is not necessarily a sign that Jesus is, is in this. But neither to look at it from the other side. Neither is it the case that when we're failures that Jesus isn't doing his job. Now, turn to someone, well, turn to that young man who got dropped out of the company and say, uh, is Jesus doing well by you? And he might say, you know, Jesus has sort of, sort of dropped the ball on this one. Look at me, I'm a failure. Uh, and uh, I tried hard. I worked just as hard as that big guy who was a success. But uh, uh, it didn't work out. I, I had a serious automobile accident. I fell behind. And here I am, uh, I'm a loser. I'm uh, not a winner like the big guy is. You know, you wanna talk to both of these people, the winner and the loser, and say, you know, there's something you need to remember. This game of which you're a part, which is the game of material success, or it's a game you know, whoever has the most toys wins in the end. When the day comes that your heart stops beating, the game's over. And you realize it didn't matter. Because these toys with which you've won the game or for lack of which you become a loser, th these toys, you can't take them with you. That's not, that's not something that Jesus is doing. He doesn't exist to help you win that game. In fact, this is such a radical truth that you have to realize. Take the wealthiest man in the world, uh, whoever that may be nowadays. He has billions of dollars, but the moment his heart stops beating, that's the end of the game. You can't take a billion dollars into heaven with you. There are no billionaires in heaven. Uh, the billionaire on the day of his death is no better off the most, than the most wretched pauper in the world. That's not the name of the game. So if you say, well, well what, is, what is the meaning that Jesus does well by us? What is Jesus doing? that we can identify as something he's doing well. Well, if you do that, you go back to Ephesians 2, where it says, before the foundation of the world, uh, we were destined for adoption as children of God. 
And that, that's saying that before there was even a physical world, before Genesis and the Genesis stories, uh, back, let's say, when the day when God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost got tired of being alone up there in heaven, and they said, let's, let's build a world and let's fill it with our children, our kind of children. Uh, when you think of that, you realize the name of the real game is that everyone on the face of the earth is a child of God. And God is not going to be happy until everyone looks like a member of the family. And if you want to know what it means to look like and be a real child of God, look at the original child of God, Jesus. When you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at what God means for human life. In other words, the chief end of your life, God's dream for you, is that you become Christ-like. And you know that's going to happen. Uh, if you want to know what Jesus is doing well, he's working at every life to bring us to the point where we look like his children. And it's going to happen. History is moving toward a day when there will be a universal restoration of all things, when by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ or the consuming fire of God's love, every child of God will become the success, the real success, the spiritual success that God means him or her to be. That's what Jesus is doing. And he's never going to let up until we all become the holy, happy children we're meant to be. Now, with that much said, you realize that some people catch on to that in this world, and some people will have some homework to do in the world to come. But it's going to happen. And every once in a while, we see it happen. We meet someone who, in this world, is happy to be an ordinary follower of Jesus who is Christ-like and who is doing that which we are meant to do, that is to become friends with the little people of the world, those who were called uh, the least my brothers and sisters. You know, I met a man like that once, and this is a true story. And I have to omit some of the details. I don't know if any of his children, grandchildren are living, so I'll omit some details. So the man who came to our church, well-dressed, and he always arrived pushing a wheelchair with a little old lady in it. Well, she looked sort of shabby, and I learned later that this all began when the church van left without her one day, and so he gave her a ride home and said, I'll get you next week, and so every week they would arrive. They didn't make much of a fuss. He was not like that big successful guy that would go around on Sunday mornings glad-handing everybody in church as though he were running for public office. He'd just arrive, say hello to the people in the pew, and then they'd go. So I said to him, you know, I, I'd like to get to know you sometime. And he said, okay. And uh, we met together, I guess it was for lunch, and during the lunch I said, well, tell me. Uh, I see you come and go every week. Uh, what is it you do for a living? He said, well, 
I'm in the grocery business. I said, well, what's the name of your company? And here I can't tell you the name of your company, but let me tell you, you have bought your groceries at one of those stores. Because in his day, this was the largest chain of grocery stores in the country and probably in the world. And if I were to say the name of it, you'd say, of course I bought my groceries there. There, That's the only place I could buy groceries. That's how big it was. So I said to him, uh, well, what do you do there? And he said, well, I'm the chief executive officer, the CEO of the largest grocery chain in the world. And he was happy to come to church, be unnoticed, and take a little old lady home and bring her back next Sunday. He was a spiritual success. He was happy to be an ordinary follower of Jesus who was connected in a helpful way with one of God's little people. And you know, you can be that kind of a success too. You know, you could make a decision right now and say, the chief object of my life is to be Christ-like. And not only to be Christ-like, but to be connected in some helpful way to one of God's little people. You might be connected in different kinds of ways. You might teach children at a school, tutor them. Or you might find someone in your neighborhood like that little old lady who needs a ride to church. Or maybe it won't be hands-on. Maybe your connection with deep human need will be to give as much money as you can to some organization that is helping the little people. But right now, before I stop speaking, you can say, my purpose in life is to be Christ-like and to be connected with God's little people. You can make that decision and make it happen right now. There's a saying that I have printed on my, my note cards, the ones that I send thank you notes and other little notes to people. And uh, it, it's not a scripture verse. It came from uh, a Swiss philosopher uh, named uh, Henry Frederick Amiel. And it somehow or other ties all of this together for me. And what he wrote was this, life is short and there is little time to make glad the hearts of those who travel with us. Therefore, let us be quick to love and make haste to be kind. Life is short and there is little to time to gladden the hearts of those who travel with us. So let us be quick to love and make haste to be kind. I'd like to be remembered like that. And I think you would too. So go for it. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.